Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8-Side Network. Mike Inglis joins us on Sports Byline. Uh, He is retired after serving as the Miami Heat's English radio play-by-play voice for 23 seasons, and he called nearly 2,200 games, including 216 playoff games. He was on the microphone for all 35 of the team's NBA Finals games, and his voice served as the soundtrack of the team's unforgettable NBA championships in 2006, 2012, and 2013. Micah, you and I have seen athletes make announcements on retirement. They get to a particular point, they analyze it, and they decide to to hang it up. But I've never quite understood about announcers. In your particular case, you're still at the top of your game. Tell me the process you went through to decide to retire. Well, you you know, what really happened was, uh, you know, COVID. Uh, You know, all of a sudden, uh, we're at American Air. It was called American Airlines Arena a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, right in the middle of the game, we're getting these text messages sent to us that they're shutting the league down. And uh, all of a sudden, because of COVID. And so, you know, we uh, at that time, we were living on the East Coast. And uh, we had just purchased a, a place on the West Coast of Florida in South Fort Myers. And, uh, you know, when it all shut down, we said, you know what, let's, let's just move back there and I'll just go across the alley, alligator alley back and forth. Well, I assumed we were going to be traveling, but every game was a road game, uh, for, for all of us, because, uh, you know, there was no, uh, no traveling for the teams that year. And then last season, there was no traveling for us, for the broadcasters again, and I said, you know what? Uh, I went from having one of the greatest jobs in the world to having a job that was actually work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never, I never thought of about it as being work because I'd get up and I'd go, oh, I got a game, whether it was the NFL or hockey or, or whatever I was broadcasting. And I said, this is great. Get my depth charts together and, uh, and go and have a real, have what I always thought was a real good time. But all of a sudden it became a, a whole lot of work with all the different protocols and, you know, I'd been broadcasting for just about 50 years now, and I just said, you know what, uh, enough is enough, and uh, I decided to pull the plug. You are Canadian, uh, and you, you know, have your roots up in Canada as far as your broadcasting roots. Take me back there. Tell me a little bit about growing up and your interest in broadcasting. 
Well, I'll tell you, first of all, I, I hate to correct you, but I'm actually, I was born in Glasgow, Scotland. Okay. Uh, but we, but we, but we moved to Canada as a kid and that's where I did get my education and, uh, played hockey. And I was, I was hoping, I was, I was a pretty decent hockey player. A bunch of my buddies played in the NHL and I was hoping to uh, get drafted. Uh, uh you know, we, we had a lot of people, a lot of, uh, agents and general managers, coaches talking to my, to my parents at that time. And, uh, unfortunately I went and I blew my shoulder out and, uh, I blew it out to the point where the team Canada hockey doctor could not put it together. And he said, there's no chance of you being drafted. So I was not planning on going to college, but I had to find something to do. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to college. And I'm, I decided to take this journalism class. And I thought I didn't know anybody in broadcasting, the radio TV or anything, but in print, I had met a bunch of guys because they had interviewed me over the years. And uh, I said, that might be a cool job, writing about sports. And I went to the college. I, actually, as a matter of fact, it's Humber College in Toronto. And uh, at that, uh, the first meeting of my new uh, uh, professor, the professor, he wasn't there, but somebody else was by the name of Phil Stone, who was a, a veteran, big-time broadcaster in Toronto. And uh, so he was taking care of the class and talking to everybody and after it was all over, I thought, oh, okay, cool. Well, I guess I'll meet the professor another time. And as I was leaving, he grabbed me and he said, Mike Inglis, what are you, what are you doing in here? And I told him the whole scenario. And he says, oh, I thought you were going to be playing hockey and what have you. And uh, he said, you don't need to be in this class. You come with me and get into broadcasting. And, uh, and I switched that same day. I came home, told my parents, and they went, okay, if that's what you want to do, uh, go for it. So uh, it was just by happenstance and the right place, right time, I guess. One of the things I've always respected about you and others that have been doing it for a long time, Mike, is their ability to be multi-talented no matter what the sport may be. As you progressed in your profession, uh, how difficult was it? Where were the biggest challenges for you as a broadcaster? Uh, the, the, well, two, the two biggest challenges. First of all, I, I started off doing junior hockey and also some lacrosse and uh, in hockey, it was second nature. I mean, you know, if you, you grew up in Canada as much as I did, you know, in, in your crib, you got a pair of skates. Uh, you know, you didn't get a basketball or a football. You got skates. <laughs> so I, I, I knew about hockey, but then I got the opportunity to uh, to broadcast football in the Canadian Football League, and I had to learn about that. That was a challenge, uh, even though I played football in school, uh, you know, just all the terminologies and the pacing and timing of it all. And then I got the opportunity uh, to uh, broadcast in the United States, and that's how I wound up coming down here to do the Indiana Pacers and the Indianapolis Colts, and I was also flying around doing hockey at the time. And I really had to delve hard into basketball because none of us played basketball. You played football, you played hockey, played some baseball. In basketball, we always said, you can't hit anybody, for crying out loud. You know, it, it's a... Uh, and you're playing in shorts in an air-conditioned gym. Well, we, we, we weren't used to something like that. I had a couple of friends who played in school, but uh, that's about it. So I had to delve hard into learning that. And fortunately, I had some great people around me. My first color analyst was Clark Kellogg. Uh, and I learned a ton from Clark. And we had Dr. the late Dr. Jack Ramsey was the head coach. So I learned a lot from him. And uh, it sort of went on from there. But just learning the pacing of games... And this is what I've told a, a bunch of students that I mentor around the country. Uh, you know, with, with basketball uh, and, 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 uh, and hockey, there's a great pace going back and forth. Unlike baseball, 
where it's more melodic, I would say, you know, a lot of time to talk and tell stories and what have you. And then also on TV and radio, the differential is, well, you don't want to say too much on television because people are watching the game. You want to emphasize it while on radio, you've got to, you're their eyes and ears. You've got to tell them what's going on. And I find today a lot of young broadcasters are sort of forgetting that point because they all watch TV so much. They see all the games, whether it's the NHL or baseball, what have you, or, or football or basketball. They see it on TV, but uh, radio is a real special art. And I'm, hope- I'm hoping it's not going to be a dying art <laughs> because it's taking a bit of a hit over, over the last uh, a bunch of years. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that, uh, the, really the challenge for me really was basketball. I can understand that having done it myself. And you are the answer to a great trivia question. If you want to win a trivia contest, ask somebody who was the first play-by-play radio guy with the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, that's a, that's a good one because, you know, it, it's so funny. At that time, I was doing the mornings. We opened up the first morning, uh, uh, first sports station in Canada in Toronto. And I was the morning man. I was uh, side uh, on my side was Joe Bowen, who was the play-by-play announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time. And uh, uh, I left there because uh, the the uh, radio station uh, up the street or down the street where it was, which was CFRB, owned by Alan Slade at the time, got uh, he got into the ownership of the part ownership of the basketball team, and so they grabbed me since I was. Uh, something sort of unique. They wanted wanted to make it sort of Canadian. Even though I wasn't born in Canada, I lived there such a long time, they considered me Canadian. So it was myself uh, who was pseudo-Canadian, but Leo Routon's a Canadian, the late John Saunders Canadian, uh, 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 Paul Jones who's Canadian. They wanted to have that flavor. So our one of our big uh, jobs was trying to teach the population of Toronto and around the country the terminology of back of basketball as opposed to the hockey. So we, we got in there and practiced and tried to come up with some uh, some ideas on, on what we could say. For example, if I said, you know, he's got the ball at the high right elbow. Well, you know, a hockey guy's not going to know what the high right elbow <laughs> is, you know. Uh, so we had to try to come, come up with that. So we came up with some crazy things. And uh, I don't remember them all now, but uh, that, that was a sort of a, a challenge. But it was a lot of fun teaching. Uh, teaching uh, the uh, the sports fans around the country in Canada a little bit about basketball. I mean, you know, obviously they had a a, a great history of basketball with the Toronto team. You know, uh, the, the first game play I think in the NBA was with Toronto against the New York in Toronto, and uh, so they've got some history there. But boy, I'll tell you, that's turned into a monstrous, a monstrous, monstrous basketball country. And you can see by all the Canadians that are now playing in the NBA. It's, it's quite amazing from an old hockey guy like me. Yeah, we only have about 35 seconds before we have to break. And, Mike, that's where I was going next because, I mean, it is a great hockey country, no doubt about it. But was there a moment when you knew that that country, Canadians, had accepted and embraced professional basketball? Yeah, I, I think that there was. When we had the uh, Chicago Bulls come in, and at that time we were playing at the uh, – uh, it was it used to be called the Sky Dome, and uh, we had over, I think it was over 30,000 people in wanting to see Michael Jordan. I mean, it was just, just amazing. It said, you know what? 
I think they're going to like this sport a whole lot. <laughs> Mike Inglis is with us, and he has announced that he is retiring from being the broadcaster for the Miami Heat after 23 seasons and, of course, three championship seasons. He was behind the microphone in 2006, 2012, and 2013. We'll talk about some of the players, some of the great moments with the Miami Heat as we continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on America's Sports Talk Show, Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome back. We're talking some basketball with an outstanding play-by-play broadcaster for 23 seasons. He was the broadcaster for the Miami Heat. He has announced his retirement. I'm talking about Mike Inglis. When you got to South Florida, what were the cultural differences that you noted? Uh, wow. Uh, first of all, I guess, are we talking population or are we talking culture of basketball teams? Well, <laughs> a little bit of both. So give me some okay. insight. Well, uh, uh, when, when I moved to, when we moved to Florida and uh, my, my wife is, is American and, uh, you know, they obviously came up with me to Canada to see what it was like in another country. We, we were there for, uh, I think it was five, five seasons. Then we got uh, the chance to come down and broadcast the heat basketball. And uh, Miami was not the same Miami. I remember <laughs> a kid coming down from uh, high school and college to vacation on, on those breaks that we got. It, uh, it had really changed. So the culture had changed uh, it is a uh, you know a very very uh, uh, a Latin population now that loves loves the sports and they support the teams immensely and that was one of the biggest the biggest changes for me to get used to that uh, but uh, but when it comes to culture of basketball boy with uh, Pat Riley running the show uh, it, it it was it was a business there's no doubt and you hear a lot of funny things people say oh heat culture people talk about heat culture. It is a real thing, heat culture, and it's a, it's based on professionalism. Uh, they're going to give you every tool for you to succeed, but they also expect you to, you know, bust your tail night in and night out. Not one season have I ever been with that team of the 23 years uh, did we not think, hey, we got a shot at the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Where you knew deep down inside, you know, we had a couple, we had like five or six guys from 
uh, the minor leagues, the G League, uh, or it used to be the D League. And uh, you, you knew you had no shot at winning, but it was the attitude, uh, the mantra of you play hard, you work hard. I'll tell you one thing. Every player that I've come across that uh, played for the Miami Heat, a couple of things happened to them. They got in the best shape of their entire lives, and they got to see what professionalism was all about. Uh, because I've had so many players in the past come to me and say, well, you wouldn't believe a practice here. It's just so easy uh, on, a, on some other team. You know, not lollygagging, but it's not like the Miami Heat. But uh, the professionalism uh, stands out in every facet of what that franchise does. And I think that that's probably why they're one of the most successful franchises. Mike, as you know, every broadcaster seems to come up with a catchphrase. Uh, maybe it's natural. Uh, maybe it's something they've thought about for a long time. We know about Al Michaels and what he did at the Olympics uh, with the hockey uh, competition up there. And in your case, you had a memorable uh, call commemorating the team's initial title in 2016. I'm going to tell everybody what it is, and I want to know how you came up with this. Was it on the fly, or was it something you had thought about? For the first time in franchise history, there will be a parade down Biscayne Boulevard. How did that come about? You know, that that one was actually right off the top of my head. Uh, I've never been one to prepare for situations like that, but I, I, I will admit, in the back of my mind, since we were in the finals, I remember Pat Riley because I saw an old old tape of Pat talking about when he first came to the Miami Heat, and they had the, if I'm not mistaken, the interview with him and Mickey Arison, the team owner, uh, on uh, one of the, one of his uh, ships, one of the Carnival Cruise Line ships, and uh, he mentioned something about having a parade down the Biscayne Boulevard. Well, that sort of stuck with me, but I, you know, uh, it, it didn't wasn't something I had planned, but. Uh, it just popped out of this uh, out of this mouth, this pie hole of mine, and uh, it, uh, it it seemed to work. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Let me ask you about the catalyst for each of the championship seasons briefly here. Two thousand six. Why did they win it? Well, uh, there was the emergence of this young kid, uh, you know, by the name of Dwayne Wade. Uh, he <laughs> he absolutely exploded onto the scene. And, uh, you know, we had Alonzo Mourning, obviously, you know, Shaquille O'Neal. We had some great veterans. But really, with the emergence of Dwayne Wade and what he did, uh, you know, we knew he was going to be good, but I don't think anyone knew he was going to be that good. Uh, the, the emergence of him and the good people around him, too, obviously, uh, the talent they had around him and uh, just the tenacity of him really led that team to a championship. He was he was the main catalyst, without a doubt. And a lot of help, obviously, from the big man, Shaquille O'Neal. Back-to-back uh, championships, the first being in 2012. What about there? You know what? Should have won three championships, at least, out of those four. But uh, the first one, I uh, honestly think they maybe were a little, uh, I, I don't know I don't, wanna, I don't know if it's cocky is the right word or not, but I, I think they thought things were falling real well for them. It didn't. And uh, I think losing that was losing that first championship was a, was a good thing because it really got them going for the next two. Uh, with, and I'm talking about LeBron, Chris Bosh, you know, Dwayne Dwayne Wade, uh, Mike Miller. We had I mean we had so many good you know Shane Battier. They had a loaded team. I mean they were loaded. Disappointed that they they won the second one, won the third one, and we were really looking forward to that fourth one, but uh, it just didn't seem to work out. And uh, I think uh, uh, LeBron. Uh, uh, he he had he had a bit of a rough time, and uh, it uh, you know then he made the decision he was going to leave, and obviously uh, you know Pat Riley and company uh, 
thought we had this big dynasty set up. But you know what? You never know what's in the minds of, of players and uh, if they want to move on. And uh, he moved on and went to his hometown and got them a championship, something that city of Cleveland hadn't had in a long time. One of the things that both of us know is that to win back-to-back national championships in any sport is difficult. And, of course, the Heat did it again in 2013. What was the biggest challenge in 2013? Because the seasons go long if you count in the postseason and championship series and everything. And then it seems like a couple months later the team's back in training camp and they have to do it all over again. What was the key to that in 2013? Well, I think one of the keys all is always health. Uh, you've got to be, if you don't have your health, you're, you're, you're not winning. I don't care how, how good your team is. If the guys aren't healthy, you're not going to win uh, because, you know, the team you're going up against, you know, they're, they're going to eat your lunch if they possibly can. And the team was pretty, pretty healthy about that. And I think they had learned from the, the loss of the first opportunity to win a championship, but winning the, winning the, 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 the second year that LeBron and company was together, Wade and Bosch and, uh, they learned off of that, and they, they saw what can happen if you play together. Uh, you know, the guys, uh, you know, like Dwayne Wade gave up a bunch of shots. Chris Bosh sacrificed a ton, as did LeBron and everybody, and they meshed really, really well together. Uh, but I think just coming together as a team, that sounds maybe a little corny, but, uh, you know, they had fashioned that over the the previous couple of years, and it all worked out again very, very healthy, and uh, uh, they wind up winning the championship. When you think back on your 23 years with the Heat and your overall career, is there a particular moment, Mike, that's kind of engraved in Mike Inglis's mind that he'll never forget about what he's done in this business? Well, I think there is a moment uh, in basketball when Ray Allen hit that shot right in front of the uh, uh, of the Spurs bench to send the game into overtime, a game six, uh, that they'd already brought the yellow ropes out. Uh, and I screamed, <laughs> get those get those ropes back inside once he hit that thing. And uh, then, of course, he won, went on and won game number seven. But over the years, I mean, I, I've been very, very fortunate. I've met so many great people. I got to meet my football uh, uh, my football hero, Johnny Unitas, uh, when I was doing Colts games in Indianapolis. And uh, I, I just, just so many, all the hockey players I got to meet. And, and I, I think maybe one of the one of the real great ones is I got to do the start-finish line at the uh, Indy 500 for the time trials. So there was the Emerson Fittipaldi's, the Crawford's, the Foyt's, all those guys. And uh, that was an experience that I had no, no experience in uh, really in racing, except my, my, my dad was friends with Jimmy Stewart, who was a good Scotsman. And uh, he, when he came over to Canada to, to race sometimes in Montreal, what have you, uh, they would get together and talk it over. But, that's about as much as I could ever told you about uh, about racing, but that was a real big, uh, big, big moment for me. And uh, and obviously getting a chance to come work in the United States, uh, you know, it was a it was a dream come true for me. In about one minute left here, Mike, uh, uh, you've seen all the great ones in a lot of different sports, and I've often been asked this question, but I want to get your perspective. What is the commonality that the truly, truly great athletes all have? I think they strive to get better. All the time, all the time. I mean, did they? You know, I mean, it, nowadays a great example, obviously, is LeBron. Spends a fortune on keeping his body healthy, and it would not shock me if he winds up playing with his sons in the NBA, even if it's just for a season or two. But they all have that mindset of winning and knowing what has to be done 
but really working hard at it all the time. It is a job, but it's an enjoyable job that really pays dividends. Well, congratulations. 23 years is a long time. I know what life on the road is like, but you have done it in a very distinguished manner. And I appreciate you sharing me with me and your thoughts and, and, and your career as well. Mike, take care. Enjoy your retirement. Yeah, God bless you. Stay well and be safe. Mike Inglis with us again, broadcaster who has retired after serving as the Miami Heat's team English radio play-by-play voice for 23 years. He called nearly 2,200 games, including 216 playoff games. He was on the microphone for all 35 of the team's NBA Finals games, and his voice served as a soundtrack of the team's unforgettable NBA championships. And, of course, that was in 2006, 2012, and 2013. We continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Rex Walters joins us on Sports Byline. He was the head basketball coach at the University of San Francisco. Also played seven seasons as a guard in the NBA with New Jersey, Philadelphia, and Miami. And after beginning his college playing career at Northwestern, he transferred to Kansas, where he helped lead the Jayhawks to to Final Four appearances. He was drafted in the first round by the New Jersey Nets. You know, when you think back about when you took up basketball and everything, how did you look upon the sport at that time, Rex? I was one of those weird, weird, weird kids that said, you know, friends would come over and say, hey, you want to go hang out? And I was like, no, I got to work out. You know, I want to be the I want to be the greatest player that ever lived, <laughs> which I felt really short of that. But but uh, yeah, that was kind of a I was a weird kid. I, I, when I think back about saying that to my friends and the look on their face is like this kid's weird. Um, it makes you kind of chuckle. But if you didn't have confidence, and I think that every athlete who attains a, especially a pro level of competition, they had to have confidence to be able to get there, didn't they? Well, I think you have to have confidence, but you have to have a work ethic to build and grow that confidence. And luckily, I did have a pretty good work ethic. I inherited a lot of that from my father. I would watch him wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, be on the road by 5.30, get home by 
6 o'clock, be falling asleep by 7.30, and then starting it all over again. So just that example alone showed me that you're going to have to work really hard to, to make a, a life in this world. So uh, that gave me a great work ethic, and that gave me a lot of confidence. Was being a pro player something in your thought process as well? Well, it, you know, as you grow up and you see other players, you start to realize that, yeah, I may not be the greatest to ever play, but, but I'm, I'm pretty good. I always wanted to coach, to be honest with you. That was always my lifelong, like my long-term goal is to, to coach and coach for a long time. But as I got closer in college and as I got to Kansas and I had some success, I really thought, okay, I, I might be able to. I remember Mark Turgeon, who's now the coach at Maryland, uh, you were talking about what our goals were and we were on the track doing conditioning and we were talking about the NBA and he looked at me and said, you could make it. And that was the first time a coach, someone other than myself, someone that I respected a lot. And when he said, Hey, you can, you can make it. That, that gave me a lot of confidence that I actually had someone besides myself actually say it and, and me be able to hear it. And so that was a, a great day for me because I said, Hey, maybe, maybe this is something I can do. Cause I had an awful lot of respect to coach Turgeon. How coachable were you as a kid? Because I know some kids who, think they're pretty good, are not really coachable at some times. I've known and I've talked to Mike Krzyzewski and others about that, and he said, you know, you just can spot somebody that really wants to be coachable. How about you? I was probably somewhere in between, to be honest with you. Uh, my father was my first coach. I just grew up always watching basketball, reading about basketball, uh, you know, just watching coaches coach. Uh, my father is someone that I always really looked up to. When it came to basketball, my brother as well. So I was one that, yes, I was going to do everything you asked me to do, but I also, I, and I also believe this, and I was not a great player, but in high school and college I was pretty good. I was going to challenge you. I was going to try to beat the system. I was going to try to beat your game plan, whether it was in practice or in a game. That was a great challenge for me. So in that way, I think some coaches probably perceive that as a guy that, hey, he's always trying to challenge it. But I – I've always liked that. My best teams that I ever had, I always had players that challenged me. It made me better. It made me sharper. So I wasn't just your tip, your, your kid that was just going to, yes, sir, no, sir, do everything you ask. I was also going to challenge and try to beat your system, beat your game plan, beat your defense, beat your offense. Uh, I was just really competitive. So at times that may have been misconstrued as, as not being coachable. You know, having a dad as your coach, that's a very interesting dynamic I've found. When I've talked to other players who had a dad as a, a coach, either in football or basketball, even in baseball and everything, it's a thin line, is it not, where they uh, they have to treat you like everybody else, but, uh, you know, maybe he goes a little bit harder on you as well. Tell me about that dynamic with your dad and just generally speaking. Yeah, so he, he, he was someone that was going to make sure that I was treated fairly. He treated everybody fairly. But I also also understood really quickly that I was going to be held to a higher standard because he didn't want there to be any any thoughts of favoritism to my to his son. Uh, and I, I understood that as a as you know playing for my father. But I also understood because one of my really good friends that I played with, his father was his coach, and he always held him to a much higher standard. So I understood that. It also, you know, because of the respect I had for my father, I took it as a compliment. 
You know, it's also very interesting if you are playing in college and say your dad's a coach there and, and then you go on to the NBA, it's all business there. And sometimes that can be jarring for a player. Did you find it so or how did you see the dynamic between coach and player at the pro level as compared to, say, even the college level or even below? Well, it's really funny because, you know, nowadays we talk about the player's coach and player mm-hmm. empowerment and all of those things. Well, you know, I, I had Chuck Daly. I didn't have much relationship with Chuck. I didn't have much relationship with Larry Brown or Johnny Davis. They're all good people. I think the one thing is you have to be as a coach, you have to be a good person. You have to have a great work ethic. And that automatically gets the respect of the player. Now, of course, you know, we're all human. So, you know, my mother, my wife was pregnant at the time. I was allowed to go home and he was checking in on me. Johnny Davis was checking in on me, allowed me to leave the team to go with my wife. Like there's human aspects that if you aren't a human being you're going to lose the respect of the player but it was it was much more business-like uh than it was maybe with some of the coaches that i played for for years like my my i was i was japanese american so i i played japanese basketball my entire my, my favorite one of my favorite coaches terry moriyama we had a phenomenal relationship because he, he made me believe in me and at a young age that was very powerful when the nba you have to prove yourself every single day especially when you're you know, middle middle round, first round draft pick. You know, the organization isn't going to be built around you. You've got to prove yourself, and I was able to do that for about seven years to keep me employed. But that's a, it's a different, uh, you know, different relationship than it was maybe when you're playing for a guy or AAU coach or a coach you played for for multiple years. That's a different kind of relationship for sure. Uh, another thing, too, in college, of course, if you're there for four years, uh, you know you're going to be back for the second, even if you struggled in the first, maybe, and the same for the third year as well. But in professional basketball, it is what have you done for me lately. Was that a hard adjustment for you, or, or what was that adjustment like for you or anybody else? Well, it was interesting for me because in my first five years, I had five different coaches. I played for Chuck Daly as a rookie, then I played for Butch Beard for a year and a half, and I was traded to Philadelphia, and I played for John Lucas. He was let go at the end of that year, played for Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis was let go at the end of that year, Then I played for Larry Brown. Then I was released by the Philadelphia 76ers, and I played for Pat Riley. So each year I had a different coach. I was learning a different system. So, you know, that was a challenge in and of itself, but there's no question every time I went on the court, I had to prove myself. In the days I didn't, I really felt like I set myself back and the days that I did, I felt like I stayed above water. And so it, there's no question. It, it, it's a great challenge. But professional sports is a great challenge because it is. It's, it's, it's a very cut and dry, you know, almost cutthroat business. And, and, and so college kids don't understand that. High school kids don't understand that. But I had a lot of relationships with a lot of players. But that's because I had a lot of teams that I played for and a lot of coaches that I played for. You know, I remember Pearl Washington breaking into the NBA, and he, of course, had a great career up at Syracuse, but he didn't make it in the NBA. What's the toughest part of that transition? Well, I always say this, and I, I, li- I heard someone say this to me before, like the court is actually smaller, the basket's actually higher, because the length and athleticism and the intelligence of the players in that league, it's so, so good. I mean, players that you... You know, they may not be the, the smartest guys in the real world. They're really, really intelligent basketball players, uh, really intelligent. They've seen so many different things. 
they're prepared for so many different things. And the coaching is so good at that level that they can take away what you do best. They can take away your tendencies and your strengths. So every day is just a great, great challenge. And, you know, Pearl was an unbelievable player, wasn't a great shooter, was more of a penetrator. You know, like you have to, you have to do a lot of things really, really well, and then you have to have a dominant skill to really make it in that league. But you also have to be really good in a lot of different areas to, to really make a career in that league. Rex Walters is with us. We're talking basketball. He was the head basketball coach for the University of San Francisco after playing seven seasons as a guard in the NBA. One of the things that concerns me is is that you have to have cohesiveness. You've got to have not only five guys who start, but guys that come off the bench who can play together. And yet I think with the NIL in place now for college players, Rex, I'm wondering whether that's going to skew that cohesiveness to any degree. It's going to be a big challenge. There's, there's no question when you've got, you know, in the NBA, you've got 13 different corporations, but at the end of the day, there's one major corporation that, that's paying you and you can't just walk away. If you're walking away, that means you're probably cut. Uh, in college basketball now, there's really nothing to hold you back for looking for greener pastures uh, and really understand when, when kids are leaving Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky and, and, you know, the blue bloods, like I, I can understand you leave a place like San Francisco for Arizona or UNLV or Washington. I, I can understand that. But when they're leaving the best program in the nation, that's a big, big concern because there's going to be massive transfer every single year. Uh, kids that aren't able to handle accountability and the truth and can't look at themselves and say, hey, I've got to get better at this area in these, these areas they now just have a chance to go somewhere else uh, and play at another school. So that's going to make it a, a, a tremendous challenge for coaches to hold accountable in a positive way and build guys and build guys' games, but also to fit into the system and the style that each university, each program has. It, it's a tremendous challenge, no question. I'm going to date myself a little bit. I remember when they used to play four years. And for a coach to recruit a kid and know that you're going to have the contributions of that kid for four years, I think made it a little bit easier. But you know as well as I do, it's one and done. How has that affected coaches in the way they think and also the way they recruit? Well, it's it's just so difficult because you have to know the kid. You have to know who the kid's listening to. You have to know how many people the kids listening to to have a chance to have retention you know i was at uh, michigan state they only have 11 guys on on scholarship it's actually really really smart because they know you know when you start getting to 9 10 11 you know most most rotations are eight eight to nine people you're going to have massive transfer and lose guys but also you want to have one or two scholarships for the spring right when or at christmas when kids decide to leave because they're not playing well or not playing enough. So every single day you have to be recruiting your players. Uh, on top of that, every single day you have to be recruiting for, you know, the next group of players that you're going to have coming in and also be prepared for, you know, December when, when the semesters end and, you, you know, you have some scholarships available and there's a players that, that come available and then the spring and then the summer. And it's just a never-ending thing with college basketball now, uh, it's, gonna, it's just a tremendous challenge. And, 
And uh, it's funny. I still want to do it. I still love the challenge of, of, of doing stuff like that. But you have to be on your game every single day, building your players, building your program, building your brand, and then getting everyone uh, pulling in the same direction to have great success. We only have 30 seconds left, but quickly, uh, what is the question that recruits ask a coach most today? Uh, it used to be, how many times are we on television, coach? What is it today? Well, I think for your high-level guys, the kids may not be asking, but someone's asking, what is the NIL package? And that's, that's, that's a concerning for me. It really is. You know, what's your NIL package? How much you got? I, I, I went to Kansas. I went to Northwestern. And I'm different. I'm, my, you know, I'm very blessed Middle-aged, back, middle, middle-class background. We never, you know, needed much of anything. We had every my, my parents provided for me. But I was really happy with that scholarship, and that scholarship set me up for life. Well, you know, other kids don't come from that same type of background. But when you're talking about, you know, playing the short game and trying to get that money up front, I think it, it, it doesn't set a great precedent for where that kid should and could go to become the best player he can be and to set himself up for a truly a, a lifetime of providing for himself, for his family, and those around him. Rex, I want to thank you. Always have had interesting conversations with you. You're welcome here anytime. Come back and visit with us on Sports Byline. I appreciate it, Ron. Great talking with you. Rex Walters, seven years in the NBA, head coach at the University of San Francisco for a period of time. We continue on Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.